Hello, it's Fangraphs Audio, Carson Sestouli. Guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Friday appearance, in this case on a Sunday, but it is his weekly Friday appearance. He's a lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Kyla McDaniel. Much of what McDaniel addresses in the conversation to follow concerns the White Sox list uh, that he posted this past week at Fangraphs.com. That is the evaluating the prospects of the Chicago White Sox system. As has happened in other versions of this conversation, in this one, uh, we'll look at a prospect, and then also we will examine certain aspects of that prospect, which might have a broader application uh, to other prospects, a broader application. So, for example, Tyler Saladino, he's maybe a shortstop, he's maybe not a shortstop. That facilitates a conversation about the shortstop as prospect, and what sticking at shortstop means, and what we look for with regard to that. Also, the case of Tyler Danish. He's a right-handed pitcher with painful-looking mechanics. And also because uh, he's a native of Tampa Bay, McDaniel has seen him a lot and has seen him not get injured uh, despite those mechanics. So we uh, that uh, facilitates another conversation, and that's we go on like that. As has also been the case uh, in uh, previous appearances by McDaniel on this uh, podcast, he has provided a brief musical interlude, a brief musical interlude, which will follow this. So what you'll hear is the end of this introduction, a brief musical interlude supplied by Kyla McDaniel, and then a conversation with McDaniel himself. It's Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. I gotta testify. Come up in the spot, look at extra fly. For the day you die, you gon' touch the sky. You gon' touch the sky, baby girl. Testify. Come up in the spot, look at extra fly. For the day you die, you gon' touch the sky. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, who's on third? I want to say, actually, uh, I don't know if you've been on one of our trips to Arizona. I don't recall that, no. Um, but uh, with the Fangraph trips we do in February, I mean, or March, I guess. Oh, you weren't being sarcastic anymore? No, 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 no. We're, no, but no, you. I haven't been on those. I don't go in spring training because it's way too expensive. Right. Well, we generally have done this as a group the last couple of years, but I think that maybe you weren't writing when you first wrote for us. You weren't writing at the same time, and then, of course, you just most recently joined in a couple months ago. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> there is a rapid, there is a much, um, a much faster exchange of ideas occurring uh, when we're when everyone is together than when they're all spread out through the United States. Is there a washing machine in the background? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, let's address that. Or is there like a cat riding a ceiling fan on the high setting? Could no, okay. That? You've gone through two uh, through two guesses. I don't. I, it would probably take you a while. Is it? Oh yeah, there it goes again. Good. It take you a while. Uh, the thing that's happening might actually render this conversation difficult to continue. My wife is a. That's not how you pronounce that. That's <laughs> true. Um, you do it, because I... My wife. Well, yeah. <laughs> so my wife is um, has many virtues, but I think that maybe because she's done, she's been working a lot recently, has not gotten a lot of sleep. I should point out I've lost interest in what you're talking about. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> well, that's, now that everyone's asleep. Listen up. The um, She was like, oh, we should make some... Uh, dough for pizza and oh okay so uh, she happened to do that right uh just before she made sure to start it just before that we were scheduled to talk 
<laughs> she knew this was going to be really boring, and she had to spice it up with some foldy work in the background. Yeah. So how? So so it's in an automatic bread maker. How loud would you say it is? It's faint. I had to sort of pay attention to know it was there, but I, I don't know if a listener can hear it, but I know I can. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to. She she is also gestured to me. She's made a couple of gestures, some of which. <laughs> you can't repeat on no, the podcast. Yeah, those gestures. Blink twice, you can repeat these <laughs> gestures. Uh, but the other one is that I can move to. Uh, I'm not, we're not. I'm not used to living in places that have multiple rooms. Um, so now, so we actually do have other rooms now. So I'm going to move to. Do you used to be homeless. What's going on? <laughs> no, no, we just lived. Um, we lived in just a ab room. That's uh, known as a studio apartment, I believe. I thought you were going to say under an overpass. No, we didn't do that. All right, okay, so I'm going to put this here. That's very good, and we can start this up for real in a second. Let me grab. Let me grab my. Is this, this is gonna make the cut. Maybe one sec. People want to know about your bread making exploits. Wait one second. <laughs> me and Carson are the worst married couple ever. Close. It gets cold in here. You should tell someone about that. Hey. You got the cans back on now. Yeah. All right, we did it. Can you hear it now? Faintly, but yeah. Uh, close the door. It's fine. Okay. So, so w- when we're in Arizona, it's nice because we we exchange ideas at a pace that's just not really possible when we're attempting to correspond. And um, and I think that uh, honestly, I think that um, despite the fact that I, I think we couldn't stand each other uh, when we were down there in Phoenix, I think that that happened uh, quite a bit. Um, when we were down there. It is actually an effect that, I don't know if there's a name for it, but when I, uh, actually I think we probably talked about it in all three offices that I worked in, that, uh, you know, obviously the sort of scouting directors and things like that can live all over the country and are rarely in the office on a daily basis. If they're in there, it's usually because there's a thing they need to be doing there, and then when they don't need to be there, oftentimes they'll be on the road or with the team or whatever. Um, they're especially in sort of the young, uh, first five years in baseball analytics, scouting support sort of roles. Those people kick around a lot of interesting ideas because they're sort of the outsiders still getting experience and learning, you know, oh, this is how that role works. Oh, well, if it works that way, then why don't we do this? Like a 50 year old guy isn't suggesting ways to get around rules because he's already dealt with it so long. He's not thinking about that sort of stuff. And so these sort of uh, young, uh, nimble-minded upstart types often have interesting conversations when they're just sort of milling around from office to office. They wouldn't have if they were communicating via email. They're, they're smooth skin and all their ambition. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> supple bottoms and they're good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> but I know I had that uh, one of one of my direct bosses uh, when I worked on more of an analytics sort of thing. Uh, we would have at least an hour-long conversation at least once a week, usually a total of two or three hours per week, where we would just sit there, and it would start with me saying some crazy idea about, hey, what if we did this? And then he would be like, oh, we actually, before you got here, we tried something sort of like that, but what if instead we tried something like that? And we would just end up going on for an hour, like completely unplanned. Just We just knew it was going to happen a couple times every week. And obviously if I was working remotely, there's no way one-tenth of those would have happened. Yeah, right. It's just there's something to it. I also think that even – I actually do think that sitting at a baseball game is a good – that's a good opportunity for conversation. Even if you are attempting to scout the game, the ideas – you just get ideas, I think. Um, Most scouts sense. would disagree with you. Oh, really? Uh, I Well, there was one uh, interesting situation when I was at Jupiter, and there was a – 
uh, I'll say high ranking executive uh, that was standing down the line from me. We were both watching the same player and uh, he walked over in between innings to say hello and kind of make small talk. And then once the innings started back up, he was like, Oh, I, I, sorry, I'm not ignoring you, but I can't scout when I'm talking to people. Mm-hmm. And he like walks down the line, stood 10 feet away from me. And there, after every three or four pitches, we'd like make eye contact if something interesting happened. But we both knew if we were standing there talking, we would not have picked up almost anything off the field, which is. Okay, fine. Yeah. If you're really usually, watching. Well, if, if you're at a point where you're trying, like, for instance, this was a catcher from the West Coast. I'll say the, the player was Chris Betts, uh, who I saw a lot this summer, I saw last summer, but I'm not going to see it during the spring because I'm not flying to L.A. just to watch him. Uh, so that was my last look before the draft on him. And he, the question with him is if he can catch. He kind of looks like a young Brian McCann, but his body already looks like sort of present-day Brian McCann, so you can kind of understand mm. why there would be some questions. Yeah. And he was catching for one of, I think, only two games the whole tournament, and I already missed the first one. And so there wasn't anything else going on at that point that I really wanted to see, and I was just sitting there watching him catch. And for all I know, he was going to get pulled the next day. Like, I didn't go ask the coach how long he was going to be in. So I'm going to be talking about this guy semi-intelligently in six months, and this is my chance to decide uh, if I think he can catch. So it was something I needed to really bear down. It wasn't a folly game when some guy that sucks throwing against a hitter that I've seen seven times this week where you can kind of zone out. Right. Yeah, okay, Which fine. Which in the fall league, half, half of the game is usually you can zone out to varying degrees. How closely I, because for me, I know, and maybe this is not good. When I watch a relief pitcher, cause we saw, you know, we were down there and especially at these, these Arizona Folly games, you get a lot of relief work going on because the starters usually aren't going more than four or five innings. Uh, how, how much do you pay attention when a reliever's working? Uh, well, it depends if he's good. If he comes in and throws eight fastballs and none of them are over 90, Unless he's super deceptive or shows a really good breaking ball or I happen to know he's decent and I'm just seeing him throw poorly or I know there's a good breaking ball, like whatever. If I've never heard of a guy and he can barely crack 90, he probably sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when that happens, oftentimes I'll be like, oh, I wanted to get you know an open side look at Brandon Nemo once. So this will be a good time for me to go wander down the side because the, pit- the other pitcher going the other half of the inning, I already saw last innings. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to see anything different. Like there's... And then at that point, when you go down the side, you're you know barely paying attention to the pitcher at all. It's more of a, I'm getting nothing back here, so I'm going to go stand in another area where I can get something. Right. right. And sometimes that happens, and it turns out the pitcher's good, and I pulled the trigger too quickly. But like 90% of the time, if I think he sucks after 10 pitches enough that I feel uh, confident to get up, he he sucks 90% of the time, probably more than that. Let's not say, hey, can, well, we can address this. You say sucks, and and I know that uh, I Dave Cameron Do you prefer blows. Well, sure. Dave Cameron also will frequently use words along those lines. I don't know. This is maybe is it just rude like, to your virgin ears. This is my, what like it's not the first time I've heard before. I'm here all the time. I've mean, been hearing since I was a child. I imagine you just like came out of a cocoon from some sort of long <laughs> yeah. sleep. The but the thing I the thing I'm curious is these players don't suck. They're the, Almost the best. And as we mentioned, I think, last week, if all of the major leaguers died, they would be the best players remaining. <laughs> well, luckily, uh, I have to put those sorts of uh, – if I'm going to say on the internet this guy sucks in a serious tone, I have to put those sorts of qualifications on it. Mm-hmm. When I'm at a game talking to only myself inside my own head, I don't have to put those qualifiers on it. So when mm-hmm. I'm relaying to you what my thoughts are, I don't usually say, this guy sucks. I mean he's really good in an elite way, and if something crazy happened, he could become an elite player on his own. But all things considered, all things being equal, what I know about this guy from Yeah, well, like you now, just say, I'm not a major leaguer. He's not a major leaguer. For my purposes at that AFL game, I'm trying to watch the top, I don't know, 25% of the players in that league Mm -hmm. and then sort of pay attention to the middle 50% and completely ignore the bottom 25%. 
He's in the bottom 25%. So for my purposes, I don't even need to pay attention to him. Thus, he sucks. Ugh, it just That's somebody's son. <laughs> that's that's honestly how I think about it. I'm getting Can to it. Can the title of this podcast be Carson Ruins Scouting for Everyone? <laughs> no, it's just that's somebody's son. I don't if like saying If the guy on the field it can't be said that he sucks, then what are we even doing this for? <laughs> I'm, I'm at the game to pass judgment on people, and you're saying I can't say they suck? No, you can. You just say he's not a major leaguer. He's not a major leaguer. I can ignore him. Suck, See, this, sucks, this, sucks, suck, suck, you, by saying he sucks, it seems to me as though you are utilizing energy, cause to suck, to, to have, to declare someone as sucking, it's a, it's a, it's a, dec- it's a de- declaration. It requires energy. Whereas ignoring, you can ignore, that requires no energy. Ignoring is simply the, it's the absence of paying attention. And now you can divert that attention even more closely to the, to the players you are watching. But when someone asks me, why are you diverting your attention? I'll be like, oh, because he sucks. <laughs> That's somebody's son. <laughs> yeah, but that mom knows that her son's in the Arizona Fall League and he played in A this year. She knows he's good, in quotes, like he's a professional athlete. Yeah, like okay. Know. You don't get sent to the AFL unless the team thinks there's some possibility you could make the big leagues. Like mm-hmm. there'd be no reason to spend development time and money on you if they knew you were just an org guy. Yeah. Now, plenty of guys get rooted up as or guys in the fall league, but the team that sent them thinks there's something there, and so they send them there. And sometimes the team has three guys they want to send, and so they're forced to send three other guys. They'll send three guys that are on the borderline of or a guy that might possibly make the big league, so let's see what we have. Or maybe right. we'll boost his trade value by sending him there from nothing to maybe something because this guy sucks. But, uh, <laughs> but those guys suck. What do you want me to say? <laughs> All right. Well, I take I take out all the curse words in the scouting reports when there's plenty of them as they relate to me from scouts. So oh, I would I love like, that. I would love the the curse the curse words are not the problem for me. I think filthy language is beautiful. So if I drop a couple mfers in my report on Jesse Winker, you're like thumbs up. But if I say he sucks, you're like, oh my god. Yes, absolutely. Because I have no problem with swear words. I did. I suppose my problem is, and it, listen, I would like to announce this. I I do not subscribe to that school of thought, which would give. Uh, Every child, the medal for participation. Okay, I think that there is absolutely something to be gained for losing. Right, losing you play. That's one of the risks you run. It's not even really a risk. It's just the, all losing is preparation for real life. That's what losing is. Winning is winning is an illusion. Every time you lose, that's reality. But 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 to say that if someone sucks, who's and this would uh, on a serious note, this is the problem we run into. We have run into certainly like in those instances where Miguel Cabrera and Mike Trout were. Well, Cabrera sucks. <laughs> Did you see his war? It totally sucks. Right, right. Where, but where you have to, the problem is right when you're making a distinction between someone who's the best and someone who's only better than everybody else. You have to, at some level, you have to make it part of your argument. Is to talk about the guy who's the best is a little bit, you know, is is superior to the guy who's just better. And by do, by so doing, what it can seem as though you're doing, and I think that you can even fall into the trap of actually you are doing this, is to some is to part of the effect is to talk about how this yeah that the second guy sucks, but he doesn't suck. He's better than everybody else. He only sucks compared to. He doesn't even suck. He's just worse than the best. All right, so uh, two responses. One, I believe you shot completely past having a double standard here. I believe you now have a quadruple standard. I don't care. On yeah, I'll have as many. Hey, 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 wait, wait, what's the quote? It's from Whitman. Whitman said something about it. Let's just say, he says, do I contain multitudes? 
Yeah, well, he says yeah. he says something about containing multitudes. Well, I look forward to you making a triple entendre before the end of the podcast. Yeah, that's right. The other point is, and this is something that drives me nuts, that you actually did today, and I didn't point it out. Oh, the, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, that's right. I'm, I'm going there. Okay. Um, so in the chat, I have every week uh, no shortage of questions that are essentially, is Aaron Judge for real? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? Right. Like. And and you actually said something about a player today. Said, "Is he a real shortstop?" And I was going to make a joke about, "No, he's an artificial shortstop." There's something stupid. No, like no, that. no. You did you well in your own. And then I said, "What? What do you mean by that?" You mean? And you're like, "Oh, could he be an average big league shortstop?" Right. I said, "Would he have a zero WAR or a zero UZR as a shortstop?" And so I then answered, and I didn't tell you. But one of the things I hate is in these chats when people. Well, you'll see at the end of the chat someone sure. asks a question say a question. I can't believe you didn't answer my question about Aaron Judge, and then I'll scroll back down and it'll say, like, is Aaron Judge's swing legit? <laughs> like, what, what, what is a suitable answer to that question? Right. And I think the sucks thing, what you're, like, pointing out is what I'm also pointing out in those people's stupid questions, because they're stupid, uh, <laughs> that they're they're not giving any comparison. They're saying, is Aaron Judge's swing legit? And I'm like, all right, compared to what? Is Mike's, or Giancarlo Stanton, is his swing the only legit one in the big leagues? Or is that, like, wait, what are you comparing it to? Then I can answer it, which I don't have the energy to want to ask this if what that means. Right. When I say a guy sucks, you're like, your, question, your sort of main concern seems to be compared to what? But I should point out, much like there is, uh, if you listen to Keith Lotta's, I think, since disappeared podcast, uh, he was talking to Chris Sproul, Spro, whatever his name is, that does mostly football with ESPN, but added some of the baseball stuff. He was talking about how scouts in both sports always use the terminology of, is he a guy? He's a guy. And then Keith started using the terminology where he would say, he's a guy, lowercase, he's a guy, uppercase. He's a hashtag uppercase guy, like sort of distinguishing all these different things. Mm-hmm. The people that I'm talking to at these games, they know what these things mean. When, like, a reliever comes in and the guy goes, I got to go to the bathroom. Is this guy any good? And I go, oh, no, he sucks. They know that means I can ignore him, that I don't need to worry about it. But if he's doing minor league coverage and you have to write up everybody, he knows he has to write that guy up. But if he's writing up the other team and wants to know, should I hang around and watch this guy? Is he going to throw 97? Am I going to want to see this? I go, no, no, he sucks. He knows that means I can disregard this guy for my purposes. Mm-hmm. And I know what team he's writing up. I know what his purposes are. Like, I understand the context, he understands the context, and that's our shorthand, which then when that gets repeated to you, you don't know the context. But uh, in those cases, like I explained with the AFL thing, sucks means he's in the bottom quartile or so of the league. You probably don't need to pay attention to that guy if you are there sort of surveying the league, trying to find the best players, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you're there writing up every player in the league or covering a team, obviously you have to write that guy up. Obviously you have to pay attention Obviously, you want to know some background, some context. Is he working on a new pitch? All that sort of thing. For my purposes, he sucks. Right. And people I, that people that sit next to me there know that I'm there as sort of survey of the good players. And so, for my purposes, they know that he sucks. So, right. I think the problem here is context. In your case, not the context. I'm only which I'm, using. I'm only I'm only slightly satisfied by the response. It's I, I just your comprehension of this issue sucks. <laughs> That's fine. You can tell me I suck. It's, I'm used to it. I write for the internet. Yeah, I'm also surprised you didn't say, well, what do you mean? Is he, like, sucking a lollipop? Like, I'm surprised we didn't go to the literal route yet. No, that's no, that's dull. You know what I noticed? This, I, I, you, uh, I know that you like uh, the co- comedians there. You like a number of comedians. And I noticed this in particular. So um, I think probably one of my first uh, my first exposure to stand-up comedy was a tape my uncle gave me of Stephen Wright's uh, big first comedy special. Uh, I have a pony. Does that sound right? 
I'm not as familiar with Stephen Wright as I am with the other comedians I thought you were going to mention. Okay, but do you, but you know that Stephen Wright is a comedian. And also a knuckleballer in the Red Sox system. Yes, he's also that. They're different people, but they have the same name. I've never seen him in the same room, but go ahead. Stephen Wright, Stephen, you've never seen either of them, actually. Maybe you have seen Stephen Wright, the knuckleballer. Yeah, I actually have seen him. You have seen him. Um, uh, but the point, yes, so okay, you've never seen him. The, 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 Stephen Wright is very, very good. Um, but a lot of his jokes, um, a lot of his jokes rely on puns. If and I'm not he, mistaken, he's one of those sort of dry wordsmith, uh, yeah, he short is. joke kind of guys. So, like, he'll, this this is an example of his joke. I'm not gonna tell him his voice because that would be painful for everybody. He says something to this effect. He said, "I parked in a towaway zone. When I came back, the entire area was gone." That's his, that's one of his jokes, right? And the joke is that it, it's essentially a literal rendering of of this this phrase "towaway zone," right? That, they, yes. that when he came back, the uh, you know everything was gone. People say oh, you know overanalyzing comedy kills it, and I think we've proven that today. No, but, but well, uh, well, the problem, no, no, but I would say that this my analysis, and it, hopefully this is the way that your analysis should be used in any case, is because I noticed that on multiple listings of Stephen Wright, certain jokes were not having the same impression upon me, and that's the same thing that happens with uh, Anthony Jeselnik too a little bit. Um, not that he relies on puns, but it's the same sort of idea where he, his jokes rely on a, a surprise. You, you know Anthony Jeselnik, I think, right? Um, yes, I'm familiar with Yeah, him. right. And his jokes rely on surprise frequently. They're very compact, economical. Oh, I th- see, I thought you were saying it, would, it depends on your mood, not not if you if you know the surprise already. Because obviously there's, there's guys like Louis C.K. that are more storytelling, and you're going to enjoy that almost every time. Because there's, you know, sort of twists and turns and ways that he says certain right. words. And I guess Dan Cook probably fits in that also. Whereas guys that are basically looking like they're reading a fortune cookie, like there's not a total lot of performance right. there. You're pretty much enjoying the writing of the joke and that's right. it. Right. So right. when you right. know the surprise, you don't enjoy it as much third time through as you would a performance guy. Right. Well, with Louis C.K., you're, it's the, the you're right, as you noted, there's the narrative quality and also – uh, him and, and, and I would say that I don't know if you're familiar with Kyle Kinane, but he has like the most of any of the comedians with whom I'm familiar. He has the most story-oriented sort of jokes, and essentially it is the persona that the comedian is building with which you're to which you're reacting as much as anything. And like so in my case, is an unlikable guy with a girl's name. Right, so that's not a good not a good start. So it seemed like with the Stephen Wright anecdote, you were moving toward a baseball metaphor. Can we get there? No, I don't think I was. <laughs> So why are we talking about this? Let's talk about this. Um, oh, we, we, we discussed Tyler Saladino earlier. Um, and I wanna, I wanted to get, ask you a point about it, cause you just did your White Sox, uh, you just did your White Sox list, evaluating uh, the prospects in the White Sox. And Saladino's one of the, the guys, and I happened today to publish a piece, uh, the projections. And, this happens, oh, right? Especially. I didn't see that. Let me pull it up. Yeah, this happens. I think, especially with guys who do not feature carrying tools, Kylie. Players, yes. prospects who do not feature carrying tools, probably tend uh, to be less well acquitted in a from a scouting point of view than they do from a projection point of view. Um, and Saladino appears to me and you, is to be one of the sorts. And the, the thing that comes up, right, is like steam the steamer projection system doesn't necessarily know a lot about Tyler Saladino's defense. What it knows about his defense mostly is that he's played shortstop almost exclusively as a minor leaguer, right? 
But I think you – I mean, it's the case, I believe, that there are a lot of uh, prospects or minor leaguers who play shortstop almost exclusively or near exclusively uh, that – who will not – who are not necessarily shortstops. They're, they're at – who will not necessarily be major league average def, defensive shortstops. They're playing shortstop because maybe they'll turn into that and their teams say, well, there's no point in pushing them off the position until we have to. Um, but one thing that um, – so one thing that came up in the projection of Tyler Saldino was, well, how good is he actually a defense? You know, is he going to get if he was a major leaguer, would he get the full shortstop positional adjustment, and then, you know, and then, um, and then just a zero for for run saved? You know, he'd be an, a league average in that regard. Would he be minus five at shortstop, which is kind of a fringy one, and really is the same as being an average second baseman? Um, and those five runs, you know, they mean something. That's the difference. If you're a one-and-a-half win guy versus a two-win guy, the latter guy, the two-win guy, that's a major league average player. Whereas if you're one-and-a-half, then maybe it's more of a bench roll. But I'd say he's one of those minus five shortstop second base tweener guys, but right. go ahead. No, yeah, okay. So, But one thing that, that uh, now you helped me a lot when we were together. You helped me a lot with raw power. Uh, you helped me in terms of um, evaluating pitches and pitch types. Also you know, picking up women. Go ahead. Just, why, why that line? Why, why that line? Because I, I like I like to uh, make me feel uncomfortable. Well, and also just like the perception that I'm I'm like the expert at everything, and you just came out just like to teach me about yourself, Kylie, like one of those sort of things. Yeah, all right. Yeah, like what well, was it like a scent of a woman? Well, you did keep going hoo and I thought that was weird. That's actually how you hit on a woman. So thanks for giving my joke away. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The um. Uh, the, so the thing is, right? So you help me with a number of things. The thing, uh, something that still escapes me, or maybe it's so simple that uh, I'm just over, I'm just overlooking the fact that I, I know the answer to it is putting uh, grades on defense, right? Um, like I, I discussed at extraordinary, unnecessary length today, this the case of Mark Minikazi, who. If, at one point was a second base, third base prospect in the giant system, then went to the indie leagues, and now he's back in the giant system as a 32 year old. But then, he's playing. And then he regretfully died after you asked him a 45 minute question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the point is that, like, even as someone who's not seen Mark Minakatsi, I know that now he's a lot bigger and that the Giants are using him at first base on the field. My guess is he's not a natural at second and third base anymore. Uh, but but with regard to the position grades, like I was asking you about arms a lot of times, and I heard a lot of like fifty fives from you, you know. Yeah, so, that's a that's a that's a common grade in pro ball for defense. De- de- oh, I was. Or they were saying arm strength. Uh, yeah, yeah, no arm strength, right? All right, sure, yeah, arm strength, yeah. Yeah, so I explained this, I think, in the in the first introduction, or no, the only introduction to the um, you know, the scouting series or whatever. Uh, for some reason, whatever reason, this is the way sort of scouting grades work for defense. Center field and shortstop are obviously the most preferred non-catcher defensive positions. And so aver- an average defensive center fielder or shortstop is usually given the grade 55. And what that means is if I just put – because sometimes in a scouting report, it isn't, it'll say like high school player, shortstop. And you have to read to tell if he's going to be a shortstop later or going to be a third baseman. Because everybody was a shortstop. Correct. And and so those are in the middle of the field. Everyone kind of moves out from there. So, like, Corey Seager in high school was a shortstop. Nobody thought he would be a big league shortstop. And while he still plays shortstop now, nobody thinks he's a big league shortstop either. And so when you read the report, it'll say, Corey Seager, defense, present 45, future 50. 
top of the page it'll say shortstop. And if you couldn't see the comments, you would know that meant he plays shortstop in high school. I would guess it's third base, but it's something other than third base in pro ball. And you check the comment, it'll be like, play short now, but the range is short. <laughs> I guess it'd be confusing to phrase it right. like that, but the range isn't enough. So he'll probably move to third. And so the idea is a 55 center fielder is an average zero UZR center fielder. If it says outfield at the top of the page or even says center field, but it says 50 as the tool for defense, that means at best it's like that minus five, minus seven and a half center fielder that should be playing in a corner, or it just means he's playing on a corner and he's average on the corner. And the same thing goes for infield where if it's 50 and it says shortstop, 50 implicitly means he's barely acceptable at shortstop, might be able to be like a utility guy that sort of fills in at an emergency, but plays more of a second base or third base, read the comment to see if he's more of a smaller, more compact guy that plays second, or if he's more of a bigger, longer guy like Seager that projects for third base. Uh, but that's typically how that works. And then with arm strength, uh, now it, it, it seems like the generally what you're saying is that there's maybe a little bit less uh, distribution of grades or the distribution is different than it might be for something like power or for like fastball velocity or something like that. You mean for, uh, throwing grades for, for position players? Uh, Yeah. Either throwing grades or defense grades. There's a, there's a lot of 50 and 55 arms in the minors. Obviously anything below 50 is going to be hidden at second base or left field. So if you're watching someone not play second base or left field, you're almost definitely going to see a 50 or 55 arm, and then maybe one guy per minor league team you'll see a 60 or better. Okay, all right. And Well, I guess that makes sense, right, because I believe I read at one point a study that players tend to be – that minor leaguers are frequently playing the position that they're that they're going to play in the major leagues. Or at least, like in Seager's case, you're one step off. It's not like right. a guy playing shortstop that projects to be a left fielder, which happens all the time in high school. Right. So, so when you see, so like say the say like a first, wait, is this what I mean to say? The first baseman. So say the yeah. So say the shortstop for like say Brandon Crawford gets injured, right? There there are a number of ways you could you could address that situation. Usually, though, what you'll see is the Giants call up someone from their farm system, right, from the minor leagues, who is a shortstop, regardless of his offensive ability. Okay, if you want, you could actually, in theory, get the same amount of value by by pulling up a guy who's a first baseman and putting him as shop, shortstop. He is going to what what he loses on the defensive side, he's going to probably gain on the offensive side, but it's just not how it works. Usually a team's going to call up another guy who plays adequate shortstop defense. Yeah, and obviously some of that is just sort of a math problem that the nerds figured out that would never actually be considered by a manager. Part of the reason is there actually is a mathematical underpinning to that, which is the, I guess they call it the DH effect, that if you're a first baseman, let's say three war players, a first baseman, you're going to be less than that as a DH, and it's presumably some version of you're sitting on your hands in the dugout the whole time, so you're not going to be as good at the plate for whatever reason. There's like a proven, what is it, like a half a win over yeah, a yeah, season? So yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. There's also a version of that. It's not for everyone, but there's definitely specific examples where that's the case, where you put a guy at a position that is too difficult for him, and that takes away from his offensive. I know Billy Hamilton, B.J. Upton, Bryce Harper, there's a lot of examples of guys that could have played 
catcher in uh, Harper's case, shortstop in Hamilton and Upton's case, where they were kind of fringy. If you left them in the minors, they might be able to figure it out. There's a development issue where they just want to get the bat to the big leagues, and so they rushed him and just put him at a position where they know he can succeed, which all those guys end up in the outfield. Uh, but there's also a question that if, let's say, B.J. Upton was a minus five shortstop where he was playable, I don't think he ever necessarily was that good, um, that the focus it took for him to work on it every day and the, I don't know, the mental anguish or whatever you want to call it of making a bad play would take away from his hitting ability, much like the DH effect. So if you want to move, uh, I don't know, Brandon Belt to shortstop, or I, I don't know, I guess the guy that actually throws right-handed, but whatever – Technically, mathematically, that should be the same as bringing up some replacement level hitter that also plays an average shortstop, but they're, mathematically speaking, but then when you consider that probably coming into effect, uh, it would probably support the decision to put that sort of crappy utility infielder that totally sucks in a shortstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, Tony LaRusa is never gonna do that, so it's never really an option in the first place. Right, yeah, and I, and I figured that was the case. And also, I assumed that there would be some, there are probably some effects above and beyond because anytime you get to extremes, and this would be an extreme, like an, like a, a decidedly below average defender at shortstop w- would create uh, would create like maybe issues with chaining or et cetera that just really are not. It, it's not something. Yeah, you, there's also the in. Uh intangible of like losing the clubhouse and probably losing your job because you look like an idiot like all that stuff also comes into play right. that can't really right. be measured right 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 yeah anytime you get to the e- the edges of the model uh weird you have to allow for the fact that weird things can happen i know what you're thinking right now i didn't say anything i don't know what you're yeah, talking about i know that there are some edges of models you'd like to get to blah, blah. Hmm. I, I was going to talk about mathematical modeling, but I guess you're over here thinking about Justin Verlander's girlfriend, which is a real problem for us. No, I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking. I, I think uh, I, I don't know anything about uh, Kate Upton as a person. I'm sure she's lovely, but can can people hear me snickering into the microphone, or is that just something I'm aware of? <laughs> the um, I'll ask you a question about uh, G and Carlos Stanton either ha- has received an offer, or is about to receive an offer for a giant sum of money. Um, yes. I believe the largest contract ever, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yeah. Which yeah. I then would I think would change the colloquial phrase to a Marlin amount of money. A Marlin amount of money. Because the Giants aren't signing him. Ah, I see. I see. see that, that's I'm, an example I'm of the pun. podcasting. That's an example of that pun type joke that I yes. that I was mentioning before. Um thirteen uh thirteen three twenty five. It's actually hard to to say it takes a long time to say the terms. That's how you know it's a big contract. 13... And you're not even getting into the, the, the private chat and the suite and all that sort of stuff and, right. the, and the fine print. 13, 325. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if there's any value in doing this, but I thought I'd ask you the question is well, it's sort of maybe a, a minor or a brief review of Giancarlo Stanton as a prospect. I don't know how wary of you, you were at that point. But I he's... saw him, I think, two games in high A, but never formally wrote him up because I believe I believe when I saw him, it was when I was in between jobs with teams, so I wasn't sort of in the internet realm. I definitely wasn't writing up uh, every guy I saw writing up full system. Right. So I don't think I could throw out every single grade, but I could probably get in the ballpark. Right. So I guess I guess my question is: so he was like a, he was a second round pick. Yes. Um, and he's about to sign the, the most lucrative contract in baseball history. You know, and you'd like to think that uh, if you're in the you know front office, that uh, if everything's working out. That it should be a former one-one, 
who's who's going on to sign that. But that you know that's rarely the case. And it often is. It, well, it frequently. I mean, yeah, on average, yeah, it is. But yeah, and not always one one. But like you in the top ten is usually the guys getting these humongous deals. But yeah, go ahead. Right. So I guess the question is, what uh, is it? Is there any lesson? To be learned from this, from the fact that Giancarlo Stanton uh, went from a certainly, a, um, you know, a sought-after player, but not the most sought-after, uh, he went from that to being now, or you know, or at least on the uh, the precipice of becoming the you know essentially the most the most well compensated player in, in in baseball history. Well, he, I mean, Stanton is a the latest or. I, I guess you say the latest reason, because but he was good a while ago, so there's probably even more recent uh, examples. But teams still take, uh, uh, I would say, raw, multi-sport guys with limited baseball experience when the tools are there. The Marlins are notorious for always and still doing this. Uh, the Phillies, I know under their scouting director, has since been fired, so who knows if they'll still do it. I'm sure they will. Uh, the White Sox, whose list I just did, are notorious for taking raw guys and then also for moving them quickly to the minors, which may or may not be helping them. Yeah, well, so by invoking the Phillies and the, the White Sox, that's not giving – That's not, that, that doesn't necessarily suggest this is the best strategy because they have not particular, well, particularly – Well, yeah, I, that is kind of what I was getting at. I was yeah, saying that, right. that because Mike Stanton technically exists – uh, and and because you know Mike Trout was a cold weather guy who ended up immediately after he signed being two notches better than anybody ever expected, uh, because of those guys, people scouts now err toward oh it's a multi sport guy so he has to play a lot of baseball so anything's possible. Carl Crawford was a a, a, three, a three sport guy uh, so he didn't play a lot of baseball so we could just sign him and he'll learn everything after that. We're, you're just scratching the surface like it gives you license according to some scouts to just round up and. Uh, and a completely inexact amount on your scouting report because, oh, well, who knows? Anything's possible. Brandon Nemo's from Wyoming. What does he know about baseball? They don't even have baseball at the high schools there. Oh, that's interesting. So it facilitates this thing, which I think appeals to well, scouts, which is that, like, have to blank check so for much. hope. Yeah. yeah, you have to project so much to get an 18-year-old to being an above-average everyday player that when it's a guy that you've seen play for three straight summers, like, you know what's there. Whereas when you see a guy that came out halfway through the spring that didn't play over the summer and you just see him hit a bunch of bombs and home runs and, like, you know, do pretty good in games, but you're like, oh, well, who knows? If he actually played all those games that these other guys played, he could be anything. Like, right. it's like Pandora's box, where, or I don't know if that's the right reference, but that, like, literally anything could be inside this person. And then you see a guy like Stan who lasted the second round and he was supposed to play defensive end at, I think, USC or something. And, that is like one of the uh, handful or many or whatever examples of guys where whether it's cold weather, multi-sport, uh, you know, didn't have a good coach in high school. Like there's three or four different examples of this where guys uh, allow themselves or great makeup is another one uh, where guys will allow themselves to basically get out of hand. And obviously if you were to look at the reports every team had on Mike Stanton, they were probably all light. Uh, so you should have been out of hand on that one. Uh, but obviously, there's no way to know to be at hand on him as far as the projection running wild and not on other guys. So if you're going to run wild on him and that you're the team that takes him, you're going to run wild on a bunch of guys and probably multiple ones every draft. And the teams that tend to do that, uh, like I said, the Phillies, the Marlins, uh, I guess the Royals at times have been seen like that. Uh, it kind of goes through waves, but those teams have sort of consistently done it for years they get some good players. Some teams didn't want to take Chris Sale at all because of his mechanics, and the White Sox took him. So there's versions of that sort of mindset where you're like, 
oh, we shouldn't take Tyler Danish or Chris Sale because they have terrible mechanics, which is what everyone said about them. Even the scouty scout would say, I don't know if I want to give that Chris Sale guy all this money. And then if you talk to, like, the guy talking about the inverted W or whatever, he'd be like, oh, if you give this guy $2 million, you'll you'll spontaneously combust. Like, that guy exists too? <laughs> Neither one of those guys wanted to draft this guy, which is why he lasted so long. Um, so teams that have that sort of mindset uh, can be rewarded in many different ways. And I guess the White Sox with Danish and Sale, that's two recent examples of two guys that I and every other guy on the internet and I'd say an overwhelming majority of scouts were like, mm, that guy is not a good pick there. Well, we were really wrong. And Stanton, uh, I wasn't doing this sort of thing back then, so I probably would have had him somewhere, you know, with it not number one in the draft, which is where he should have been in, in, in retrospect. So I would have been wrong on him too. Right. Um, so yeah, there's it's a it's basically a way of approaching the draft. There are certain guys who only want to go with upside. They want to, uh, I guess Kenny Williams is one of those guys. Is known for wanting to be an upside guy, push them quickly. If they're good, we'll find out. And there's other teams that want to take safe guys, make sure they have success at every level. There's obviously a bunch of mixes of those things and in between versions of that and all that sort of thing. They've all had success. They've all failed. But I, I think you can look at the teams that have succeeded and have been making the best systems and see a, I'd say, a, a measured, moderate approach to all of these things mixed with good evaluators. And that tends to be the teams with the best systems, which tend to be the same sort of people and same sort of approaches are the ones behind those sorts of organizations. And that tends to be the right approach, which is one of the things I was getting at in my uh, Yon Moncada thing where I mentioned that the Braves were there uh, in force with all their sort of heavy hitters were in the room or at that stadium that they had not spent money internationally for a long time. They're not seen as a, as a team that goes over slot in the draft or goes over their pool and internationally. They don't really sign guys for over a million dollars anywhere unless it's a million dollar plus slot in the draft. They just brought in a bunch of dudes, fired a bunch of dudes, and the guys they brought in were often the ones that were involved in sort of the old Braves dynasty where it was aggressive development, aggressive scouting, let's go get some players, uh, and they all tended to be good players, and these guys are all regarded as good evaluators. And so as far as we know, these are you know the guys you want to trust. And so you should only expect when those sorts of guys get in charge of something where they think the you know system isn't quite as good as it has been, or some, we've been doing some things when I, when I was gone, now I'm back, that weren't so great, they're going to want to focus on scouting and development and being aggressive. And so some dude shows up that's going to cost a bunch of money who's the best 19-year-old maybe in the world, like, of course they're going to be there. Like, why is that? Sur- it's surprising because you wouldn't have guessed it, but if you were asked, like, oh, which team that doesn't have a reputation of showing up at these sorts of showcases in force and being a factor for them, you know, who's changed the most in the last year or two? They would probably, like, they're the only team on the list that's, like, completely changed in that way. Um, so, yeah, the, I guess the, the the punctuation on that whole long uh, Sistuli-like rant I just went on Blah. is there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but I think if you look at the teams that are succeeding, there is a generally accepted way down the middle with good evaluators that ends up good, but on any one given decision, the the person on that spectrum that looks like an idiot often can look like the smartest guy in the room, which may be how some people uh, interpret, you know, Stanton and Sale and some of these other guys. Uh, you, know, you say some of these other guys. Another one of the players you mentioned was Tyler Danish, I believe. Yeah. A right-handed pitcher also in the White Sox system. And a pitcher who I think has represented some uh, a challenge to you in terms of evaluations. Um because he's, I think he's what he's been effective, uh, but at the same time his mechanics are uh, unusual. Yes, 
Uh, some would say painful to watch. Actually, I could, I could name some people that are very respected in the industry that said that and still say that. But I, got, I got to the point, basically, where I've seen this guy throw a ton. He's from Tampa, so obviously I've seen him a lot. Uh, I've seen him throw a ton of pitches with some of the worst sort of – like if you're looking at mechanics in terms of you want to give your yourself a chance to move with momentum toward the plate, time all of the sort of chaining of all the actions together the right way to sort of preserve your elbow and, and shoulder. You can do it however you want. I use like these very broad things. I want to have a lot of momentum, and I want my arm to be hitting you know the right checkpoints at the right times. He doesn't do any of that stuff, right? <laughs> like, like go pull up the White Sox list and look at the video, and even the most raw baseball watcher will be like, oh, no, that's not how you do that. Um, but as far as I know, he has never been hurt. He always throws a bunch of pitches. Like, It's not Tim Lincecum, but Tim Lincecum has some of the same stuff, where it's a little guy with weird, at least, if in Lincecum's case, it's weird mechanics. In Danish's case, it's bad mechanics. They're both small righties, and it shouldn't keep working for whatever reason, but it does. And there's like sort of also a rubber arm thing where this guy could probably throw 140 pitches every start of his life, and you wouldn't even see effects for like seven years. Um, and so when after this guy signed, this stuff kept happening. I'm like, okay, so Chris Sale, at some point after he got drafted, I realized I was wrong and reverse course. And I don't remember if that was six months later or two years later, but at some point you're like, okay, even if his elbow blows out tomorrow, he might be the best guy in this draft, so I need to change change my tune on this one. Everyone knew the stuff was there. I just didn't think it would you know, stay healthy and effective and all that sort of thing. So Danish, I have multiple scouts texting me on the regular every time he pitches. Like, hey, did you see Danish tonight? He did five innings, 19 strikeouts. Like something ridiculous to get my attention. And I'd be like, he's like, oh, we're going to rank him now. You had him in the third or fourth round out of high school and, you know, thought the second round was way too high. And I was like, I did. I think the information I had at the time still said that was true. But at some point, we have to consider revising our uh, our evaluation, or I guess it would be mine. And he hasn't gotten hurt. He's kept doing what he's doing. He has an unbelievable ability to manipulate the ball mostly sort of 88 to 91 will hit twos and threes and fours, but it's like 60 to 70 life on the fastball somehow still commands it. Well, given those mechanics, it's a consistent above average breaking ball that in short one inning stents could be a 60. The fastball can be a 60 in short stents, but it's more of a 50 to 55 pitch. Didn't throw a change up in high school because he didn't need to. And then he just learned one and it's a 50 to 55 pitch, but still a little inconsistent. And sometimes his mechanics will get a little away from him. And he'll throw the ball up in the zone and things will kind of flatten out or whatever, but he is a very small amount of adjustments away from being in a big league bullpen. In fact, he probably could have gotten guys out in a big league bullpen last year. Uh, when he was a senior in high school, or when he was a junior in high school, uh, he was committed to Florida, and Florida tried to get him because they had some guy, the Gators had some guy drafted late that they thought was going to come to campus that didn't. Uh, and so they tried to convince him to leave high school or to come to campus and be a reliever for three years because they're like, this guy's going to be unstoppable in college, which he would be exactly the college reliever where everyone just kind of rolls their eyes and then he's a junior and they're like, I guess he's got to go in the top 50 picks because who's going to hit this guy? Um, So, yeah, I mean, he could be a fourth starter. He could be a fifth starter. He could be a setup guy. I don't think it's necessarily closer stuff, but I'm kind of done doubting this guy. So 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 I'm going to stop. I have the video in front of me. What what are the things I'm seeing – it's much easier to see the problems when you can slow it down. Yeah, know. right. At full speed, it's a little hard to see. But, for instance, when his foot hits the ground, his his palms are supposed to be pointing toward the catcher. 
And when his foot hits the ground, his elbow is uh, like... Let me see if I can see how to describe this. His elbow is... Uh, is like his hand is pointing toward the third baseman and it's supposed to be uh pointing his hand supposed to be pointing toward the catcher and sometimes it doesn't even get high enough to point at the third baseman it's like pointing at the ground behind him which is basically saying your body is twisting as hard as it can while your while your arm is like way behind where it's supposed to be like you know it's if you're doing it frame by frame so, uh his you have like a one or two frame uh, allowance for, oh, his hand's supposed to be here, and then two frames later it gets there, and that's kind of the amount of margin for error you'll give a guy in any one pitch, but you'd like for it to be on time each time. Yeah. He's like he's like eight frames behind. Like it's like it's just way behind. And he doesn't have uh, – and I'm actually watching the video. It seems like – and I don't know if this has been addressed more recently. Uh, when he throws his breaking ball, he actually has a little bit uh, less of a jarring stride. Uh, but on the fastball, it's it's a it's a shorter stride, it's a very short stride, and there's a lot of wrenching that goes along in his arm. And that's one of those things you have to pick up in Double A AA and Triple A when you get sort of big league quality or former big league hitters where they can pick up that kind of stuff. In Low A, nobody's doing that sort of thing, right. so you don't need to adjust it. But yeah, there are there are some things we that scouts would pick up in high school about. Oh, he kind of tips his change up because he grunts, or I'm not sure if that was the case, but stuff like that. Or, you know, his slot's a little lower on his breaking ball, or he fiddles with his ball in his glove a certain way when he's going to throw a fastball or whatever. That stuff doesn't really matter until about double A because people aren't going to pick it up reliably. Right. Um, and just, I assume that's also like if the stuff is good enough, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's the other thing. You can, right. if, you, if you can know the pitch is coming and what location you still can't hit it, that doesn't matter if you know. Um, so, so yeah, I... I he adds and subtracts from every pitch. He can throw it in any part of the zone for a strike. It shouldn't work. It does. Um, this guy is going to be a big leaguer. At this point, we can be pretty certain his arm isn't going to explode. I'm sure he'll have some sort of soreness or something. Uh, but Lenskamp looks like he should be getting hurt, not because his mechanics are awful, but just because they're so involved it seems higher maintenance. And mm-hmm. I know he's had, I guess, what some soreness and his velo goes up and down, but he hasn't really been hurt before. And, no, he hasn't been hurt. Yeah, it's mostly just ineffectiveness due to the loss of velocity, right? Yeah, and but it, like he just like learned a, a seventy changeup after he got signed, so it's like he's obviously adapted in such a way that, again, sort of backs up my whole Black Swan theory that like this guy's been counted out at every level, but he still one of the top ten picks. He seems to be fit to make adjustments to stay alive, and it seems like every step of the way, there's like, oh, his velo's down, like, oh, he can't throw his curveball for a strike. It's like, oh, he just learned a plus changeup. Like, I, I I think he'll be able to survive if he wants to. Uh, this year notwithstanding, because that was kind of a disaster. <laughs> but, but like, yeah, Danish, his his delivery is less high-maintenance and more worrisome from a mechanical standpoint, but he hasn't gotten hurt yet, so obviously there's something crazy going on with his genetics, and he just keeps performing. And I should also mention, I said it in the report, but he's, like, an insane competitor. Like, I watched him in a high school game strike off the side in the first inning and then come up and saw the third baseman was standing too far back, bunted the ball, dove headfirst into first base... I believe he was out, and then I tweeted that, and after the game, he like tweeted at me like, "Yeah, man, that was pretty cool, wasn't it?" <laughs> he likes he likes trying to win. He wants yeah, to try and win. Yeah, and I was like, if you got a guy that can command the ball, that's a crazy competitor, that like has a ridiculous ability to like add and subtract from pitches and make stuff work and learn new things and all that sort of thing, I'm like, unless his arm explodes, he's going to be a successful big leaguer of some kind. I don't know what he's going to be. But I was like, he could be as good as a fourth starter. He could be a, I don't know, one and a half, two war guy. Or he could be a shutdown multi-inning reliever. Like, he's going to be something. And I need to make sure 
he is ranked in such a way to reflect that I know this guy's going to rack up a couple wins in his career, whereas in that 45 group, there's a bunch of dudes that'll probably be nothing in that group. So I wanted to make sure he was sort of a tier ahead of them, even though the the 50 future value, I I don't know if he's necessarily ever going to be a 50, but I don't think he needs to be when there's you know this level of certainty that he's going to do something. Well, listen, we did not discuss, Kyle McDaniel, we did not discuss the most fascinating story of the offseason. And also something that got a ridiculous amount of comments that I would guess a fair amount of people opened this podcast hoping that I would say something about it. Really? I would say you haven't fulfilled your obligation, Carson, if I had to. I had, no, but when, when, when was the last time I did? That's fair. I'm not, not, no, but, but if it, listen, Ky, uh, Kylie, if it really is. We can most, talk about it for five minutes. Well, I've been saying, though, if it really is the most fascinating story of the offseason. Did you read the article? It'll be Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, that's actually – I heard most of it from your mouth directly. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. In fairness, Carson was in Arizona with me when all this was originally happening. Yeah, so it's old hat. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty old hat for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also pretty much everything I'm allowed to say publicly because there's a lot of stuff I know that – or know or suspect or theories or whatever I, I can't say – it's all in the article. So it's if you if, if you're interested in this and you've probably read the article if you're listening all the way to the end of this and God have mercy on your soul, yeah. uh, I can't really say a whole lot more. There's a lot of cool stuff going on that I think at some point will come out. Right. Uh, Listen, my point is if it's really the most fascinating story of the off season, we'll talk about it again. That is fair. Yeah, it's going to be around. I I will be writing about him again, but probably not for I would guess at least a few more weeks, if not a month or two. Hmm. I, I would guess he will have a workout in America. I would guess it's in Florida, and I will absolutely be there. So obviously that will that will allow for further discussion. So there you go. If you listen to this podcast and you were mad that there wasn't any talk about Moncada and not any additional information or off uh, stuff that wasn't in the article that was discussed, there you go. He's probably going to work out in Florida. That's no official thing to report. I'm just guessing that's what's going to happen. Yeah, he's probably going to work out in Florida. Yeah, and you don't need to go because I will go. Yeah, there you you'll go. You'll write it up. I'll bring a camera. I'll bring a notebook. I'll be talking to people. I'll do the whole Kylie experience. Hmm. And hopefully Carson won't be there because then I'll get no work done. Yeah. What, what are you talking about? I, I, I was fine. I'm fine. I, I'll let you get your work done. Yeah, yeah you're fine if not self-conscious. Hmm. All right. Well, I think you've fulfilled, you've fulfilled your obligation at the very least. Where's the the washing machine that's like warming up the bread? Is that gonna come back? I don't know, but there's some there's there's sound behind you now. It's sort of like a like a low. There's like a music situation. Yeah, it's my neighbor. Oh, what's going on there? I believe he's learning how to play the bass, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that's you're the one who's ruining it now. Can you hear it now? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna see if you're making it up, but I guess not. No, yeah, yeah, I can hear it now. Yeah, it sounds sort of sounds like. World music. Can I say that with more disdain? World music. You should you know, change that to your Twitter name for a little bit. You it's like, just world like if, music you could, if you can buy the CD at Starbucks, then it's probably world music. That's the answer. Yeah, no, that's fair. I. It's not like that opinion hasn't been shared before, but uh, but people other than you. But sure, that's a thing that you can say out loud. Oh, really? People said that before? People make fun of Starbucks music. It's kind of an easy target. Oh. Also, Starbucks uh, coffee, but yeah. and the ubiquity of Starbucks itself. Starbucks is a target. Yeah, it's a target. And I have a friend, one of my good friends from high school actually works in corporate for Starbucks, so I, I, I text him these jokes pretty often. Yeah. 
I don't know. These White Sox. Matt Davidson, Micah Johnson. They don't have a lot of impact talent at the moment. No. No, no they do not. And and that Matt Davidson, that 45 could turn into a 40 if he doesn't hit again this year. Or I suppose even less. And Michael Johnson is not healthy a whole lot. So him being a 45 is sort of contingent on him being on the field, which he's had a little trouble doing. So yeah, even they're like sort of 45s, uh, once you get past those five guys and the 50 plus, I feel pretty good about those guys. Once you get to the 45s, like even the 45s are kind of not a lot of conviction there. And you know, you got your Trace Thompson that's sort of done the same thing like three years, but there's a lot of, a lot of glimmers of hope. And Micker Adolfo struck out like 40% of the time in rookie ball. Like that guy, Technically shouldn't be on that in that area, but I have some reason to believe that he may sort of break out this year. So I want to make sure I got out in front of that train. Yeah, get out in front. Of, yeah, don't watch out for trains. Yeah. Plus, I interviewed him. He's bilingual, and I've talked to him before. And that podcast, uh, my last employer, has been downloaded a bazillion amount of times. I think it was my most downloaded podcast. It was ridiculous. Hmm. I don't know what White Sox fans are so intense that they want to see or listen to me interview this guy for ten minutes, but apparently a lot of them did. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It, it now I don't believe can be found on the internet, so I guess I'm just teasing these people now. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're done. Have we're I done. fulfilled a second commitment now? No, you're done. By the way, have you seen Interstellar? I'm thinking about seeing that, but I've heard mixed things. No, you know I did see Birdman. That was very, very much enjoyed it. Did you? Are you gonna make the Birdman sound? No, I'm not gonna make the Birdman sound. I'm just saying I saw it. You know what? I'm about to uh, to do the intro. I'm gonna put the Birdman sound in there. Go for it. Fine. People are getting accepted again. They love it when there's something in the intro they don't understand that gets revealed in the last five minutes of the podcast. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Kylie McDaniel. Thank you, Kylie McDaniel. Yeah, no. That has uh, been uh, Kylie McDaniel, lead, ooh, I almost said that. lead prospect analyst. Ooh, that was a close one. Lead, lead prospect analyst. Fangraphs.com. Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.